Hey, good morning and welcome to the Environmental Echo. I am Paul Boyce, President and CEO of PW Grocer, and this is PWGC's Environmental Echo podcast. There are monthly episodes on environmental topics and how they relate to the real world. And as always, we've got another excellent guest. We've got uh, Kevin Gaitani. Gaitanchi. Gaitanchi. All right. I'm sorry, Kevin. (laughs) He is the Chief Operating Officer and President of the Lending Division at BEB Capital, and they happen to be a a nice big-time developer that we have had the pleasure of working with on numerous projects throughout uh, the New York City area. And also joining Kevin, we have Jennifer Lewis, a Vice President with our Environmental Unit at PW Grocer. And before I dive into too much more, Uh, For our listeners, if you guys are interested in reaching out to us or contacting us, the best way to do that is www.pwgrocer.com backslash podcast. If you guys have questions, comments, ideas, suggestions for topics or guests, please reach out to us. We'll be happy to get back to you in a timely manner. Uh, But back into today's topic, we're going to be talking with a developer here in the the New York City area and uh, some really interesting stuff. Um, Kevin is, as I said, the chief operating officer, and he's based out of Port Washington, New York, right here in Long Island. Um, he's been with BEB Capital now for, oh gosh, how long, Kevin? It's almost 16 years. Wow, 16 years. Uh, and they are a real estate investment company that's uh, been in growing markets on the East Coast, and they feature a diverse range of pro- uh, properties within its portfolio. Um, Kevin oversees and manages the firm's day-to-day operations, he oversees transactions, developments, leasing, due diligence, and risk control. And that's a whole bunch of stuff that I hope <laughs> we're getting involved with you. Uh, in 2020, he was appointed president of the firm's newly formed lending division. Uh, he received his JD, uh, your lawyer. Uh, yeah. I did Don't not hold it against me. Uh, no, not at all. I'm, I'm related to lawyers. It's great. Uh, received a JD from Benjamin A. Cardozo School of Law in 2003. And he's been admitted to the State Bar of New York. Oh, congratulations on that. That's great. Thank you. Um, and, and also, as I mentioned, we've got Jennifer from our office, who's uh, a repeat offender here on the podcast. As this is our second appearance, also related to Brownfields-type projects. But I do want to welcome both of you, and thanks for joining us today. Thanks, Paul. All Thank right. You. So let's get started. Um, Kevin, how did you get started in real estate? Um, I started out in law as a real estate attorney, uh, practicing law and uh, I joined uh, BB back then. It was uh, B. Brodsky and Associates. Um, I joined in 2006. So I practiced for three years prior to that in private practice. It was all real estate related. Um, and in 2006, I joined as Associate General Counsel, uh, but I was heavily involved from day one in the operations of the business. Uh, I became General Counsel of the company in 2009. Uh, again, still involved in the operations of the business, and that became uh, formalized about five years ago, where I became chief operating officer, um, and uh, it's been uh, it's been super interesting, and uh, you know, I was always been fascinated by it, and the more involved you get, and the more in the weeds you get on in uh, the sector, the the more you understand that you really didn't didn't know as much as you thought oh, you geez. did. So, so what really attracted you to you know? BEB Capital, or even just the, the industry overall, what, what, what really lit your, your fuse? Uh, so the entrepreneurial aspect of it was always very interesting to me. Uh, you can really be very creative. You could do what you want. Uh, you can mold uh, projects 
the way you you have a vision, and I love the fact that you could start out with a vision and see it through to completion. And there's nothing greater for me than that when I see you know you start out with uh, with one thing and you have a vision for it, and then you see it go uh, go to completion, and you end up with an end product, and it's close to what you envisioned. That's pretty satisfying. That's uh, as an engineer, that's similar. You know, we like to start out with. Some project on plans and watch the thing get built, get right. used, you know, and, and go through its life cycle. And exactly. I mean, it, that is a good feeling. As an environmental consultant, I actually have the same thing, except I start off with uh, a dilapidated building with uh, extensive amount of contamination, and then I get it to see it transformed into a nice, clean building that people enjoy working in. Wow. Usually I thought you get to see it turned into a mud hole. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Tearing everything out. I return to see the final product. All right. Good. <laughs> Um, so as an investor in real estate, you know, what are the, the key values you look for in a property when it's being considered for purchase or repositioning? You know, what, what's, what, what is BEB? What's, what's uh, their primary focus? What's their target? So uh, we have two different arms. Uh, one is an institutional grade industrial acquisition arm. We're focused on uh, Northeast United States, primarily Long Island, uh, but we have assets outside as well. Um, and, and I'll get into that in a sec. Uh, the other, uh, the other arm of the company, which is, uh, more entrepreneurial, we call it uh, incubator. Uh, th- there we acquire and we third party manage, uh, other asset classes, primarily multifamily in New York city in the boroughs. Um, but we also manage, uh, office buildings as well as uh, third party managers, so, so when you say third-party manager, you guys don't own the building, but you you're just managing the the the, the tenants and the and the property with correct. The, with we'll we'll help uh, families acquire them. Uh, people who don't have experience in real estate, they come to us and uh, we assist them with uh, acquisition management, asset management. Oh wow! And all of that. Uh, and uh, that's been that's the second arm of the of the business, and the third arm is the lending business. Uh, in terms of Acquiring, there is always, you start out with, the, the factors are always the same. Uh, you look at in place what exists. Uh, it could be nothing, which is your ground up development, or it could be an existing building with very little work uh, needed. And then you look at what it looks like uh, once it's completed, once it's stabilized. Uh, it could be, that, and then the plan to get it there. It could be as simple as a, as a mark-to-market opportunity where you just increase the rents based on uh, market as the rents roll, uh, or it could be as complex as ground up. And But at the end of the day, the metrics are always the same. You look at what your returns are for that time period and what are the risks involved in get, getting you there. And that has to make sense. So... An asset that is relatively easy to execute and to be able to get it to completion has to, uh, the returns are likely to be lower than an asset that has much greater risk, like a ground up development type project. Uh, and that's your risk reward, uh, a balancing act that you have to do when you're looking to acquire and making sure the risks that you're taking are sufficient to justify the the returns justify the risks sums it up pretty well for me i like it well as a, as a real estate company in the new york metro area right and and the, the area the value everything is just increasing you know Correct. real estate is uh, it's 
been a hot market for the last couple of years. I, I mean, just trying to, if you were looking for a home, it's almost impossible. Um, I, I know same thing with like industrial type space and warehousing. It's just, uh, it's just a very, very hot market. Um, so how has BEB's approach to property investment been amended to best take advantage of, the, of, the, of this current market? So we, we haven't really amended what we've done. Uh, the vision about how do you extract the most value uh, out of an asset hasn't really changed. The thesis is the same. You just have to be better at execution. Uh, the margin of error has gotten a lot smaller. Uh, so, But the thesis, the underlying logic of why you would go into a project is still the same. Um, you still see the same thing. That the, the equation really hasn't changed. We still look at the same metrics that we used to, except... Uh, where, uh, for example, you had a project that you projected had to get completed in 12 months for you to meet your returns. Prior to this, if you finished it in 14 months, you probably were still hitting your returns. Now you better finish it in 12 months. You better be on schedule. So the margin of error is going wow. smaller. That's interesting. Um, so wh- what changes do you foresee in the next five years, say? To, so is it going to be a similar strategy? Is it going to get, now you have to do it instead of being on 12, you got to get it in 10. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you always want to push that envelope and get better at what you do. Um, we we do a very good job of diligence. We've always done that. That's that's one of our strengths is is really digging into the assets and really knowing what we're buying and making sure the the uh, we're able to execute our game plan. I think that even that really for people that are coming into the industry or are already in it but not as experienced, that's that's the biggest risk. That's over in the next five years is going to become even more significant. And people really need to, uh, including us, have to get really better at it. The risks are, we just see a lot of more, a lot more uncertainty in the market. We see uh, interest rates going up. Uh, we see a, a lot of other risks, uh, governmental type risks that you have to take into account and really do your diligence and understand that what those risks are. And one of those risks that uh, we try to help uh, quantify for BEB Capital is the environmental risk. A lot of the properties that they've been looking at have um, legacy contamination at those sites. We have to try to tailor our investigations to really quantify how much contamination is there, uh, what kind of uh, cost it's going to incur to remediate it, and any other potential liability risks that uh, BEB Capital could face so they can use that information to make the best decisions on their their acquisitions or uh, whatever else they're trying to do on, with the property. Uh, you, you, you lead me right into where I wanted to go. <laughs> We've set them up well, and then, then I wanted to go for, here we are, the environmental echo, right? Mm-hmm. The environmental stuff. So, yeah, obviously the, the demand for real estate has grown. You know, as I said, this hot market, um, properties with these environmental challenges uh, that were once thought to be too expensive to rehabilitate, you know, now a lot of people are starting to look at them to revitalize. Um, you know, when you guys go and consider these things, you know, what is it you're looking at that, um, you know, in terms of government programs that may assist you with the redevelopment, what are things that would really turn you guys off if you're, if you're looking at like a, an environmental condition on, on a property? Uh, okay. Not much can turn us off completely except for, uh, as long as we can quantify the risk and understand what programs exist, we can. it just becomes a matter of negotiation, figuring out the numbers. Uh, and you guys have been great. You've been great partners in helping us get there, uh, really making helping us understand the scope of 
the universe of risks that exist out there and putting a number next to them, even if it's a range, we can always, you know, that helps us quantify. The risk that we cannot take is where it's unquantifiable. We've seen projects that uh, for one reason or another, we've been prevented from further investigations. We've done a fair amount of investigations, but the their sellers and for whatever reason, they don't want us to continue with more investigation. And based on what we had, we, we were unable to quantify that risk. And that is something we can't take. Just we can't take on open-ended type risks. But as long as we can quantify it, and I work closely with Jennifer, uh, where we... Uh, we work together and understand, okay, these are all the risks that, that exist. Um, and this is, this is how much it, it, the total cost to cure could be. Uh, and there we can transact, uh, you know, provided we can come to terms with the seller on the numbers. Um, in terms of programs, we've, uh, we have a couple of projects that are in the Brownfield program. Yeah. Um, again, we're working with you guys on those. Uh, those are development projects in Brooklyn. Uh, we did our uh, diligence prior to getting in, understood the, uh, the, what was available to us with all the uh, conditions that comes along with it. And we plugged it into our model and made sure the deal made sense. And, uh, you know, we're taking advantage of those projects, those uh, programs. So, Jennifer, have we ever found a property for these guys that was unquantifiable? And we said, hit the brakes, guys. <laughs> Well, we don't tell them to hit the brakes. That's their decision. <laughs> but, uh, yes, we have had a couple of projects that we've not been able to come up with a, a, a number. That's usually related to the emerging contaminants. Uh, at this point, you know, we can identify the contaminations there. There's a potential of coming up with a remedial strategy for it. But uh, what complicates it is that the state doesn't always have a settled plan on how to uh, – accept a remedial plan for this type of stuff. So something like 1,4-Dioxane, which is, you know, becoming pretty prevalent in the groundwater at this point, uh, particularly in, you know, aerospace manufacturing uh, districts uh, or sectors. Um, you know, that, that's showing up in our drinking water. Uh, so, you know, we try to uh, quantify, you know, to the best extent that we can, but we don't know what some of the regulatory agencies are going to do. We don't know what the drinking water authorities are going to do so in these areas. So when we get to, like, this unquantifiable, right, is it like they haven't established when we would consider this site remediated or clean or, and we're done and it just would go on and on and on type of thing? Or is that what it, we're really looking for? A lot of it is really about what's migrated off-site. Yep. Uh, remediation for that can, of course, be much more difficult and costly. Um, and, you know, lawsuits. We just, we can't quantify uh, how agencies are going to, particularly the, the drinking water agencies, are going to come after potential sources of this contamination. So we have one site in particular that uh, we had to we had to abandon because of that. That's exactly what Jennifer just described was the conversation we had, and we got to a point where we had to say we can't take this risk, and it was it was tough. It, it was yeah, you know, we had done a lot of work on that property. We drew up plans. There was development aspect to it, um, and you know we probably spent a hundred grand on due diligence up to that point where we just had oh, to. Wow. Yeah, we just had to big investment. Yeah, just couldn't take that risk. Wow. So, how does 
BEB determine how best to reposition a given property that it's considering to purchase? You know, so you're coming in, whatever it was, it was an old, you know, strip mall or something. How do you guys decide, you know, this is going to be uh, either a new industrial or commercial use, or is we going to do mixed use or residential only? Uh, obviously, zoning plays into it, but Correct. how do you guys really target in and what you want to do? So a lot of it is market data. We work with uh, various brokerage firms and we understand, we try to best understand the market data trends, where things are going, what are the things leasing, what are the demands and what's in the pipeline for things being, uh, you know, coming online. Um, you know, that kind of gives us a leading indicator of where, where we think things are going to come in okay, and where, what, where there is demand. Um, so, so that really helps us understand how we should reposition an asset. Uh, if we look at a, we looked at a project, for example, where, uh, there, there was, it looked like there was a need for, uh, for, uh, for, uh, uh, for multifamily development. And we came in and we did some studies and we saw what's coming online and there were m- multiple projects in that neighborhood that was coming online and the demand just wasn't there. So we were a year behind those projects. So by the time we finished, the demand seemed like it was it was almost gone. Uh, so we didn't move forward with that project and vice versa. We've been we've seen projects, particularly in the industrial assets class, where you have seven million square feet being built on Long Island. But if you look at where they're building it, it's there's really in what you call uh, prime areas there's almost nothing there's very little development going on in those areas because there's just not enough available land so so the you know your data has to be really targeted and you got to really get down to the nitty-gritty of it to understand where that's coming from you can't just take uh, one blanket uh, data set and say okay long island as a whole has this much need and this much is coming online you have to look at particular pockets and sectors and really uh, dissect it to better understand uh, what is needed in that area. So that's, that's interesting. And you know, when I think of developers, I rarely think of like this, this data analytics, the type of stuff that you guys, you know, looking at demographics and, and geography and everything else before you decide what are we going to do here? or Should we even do something here? Really interesting. Yeah, a hundred percent. And the, there are obviously a lot of factors go into it. Uh, zoning is always important. The municipality, how likely are they, how business friendly are they, and, you know, whether they're go- more likely to give you a hard time or approve your projects. And transportation is always super important, uh, depending on what you want to do, whether it's residential and, you know, you want to have access to public transportation. If it's industrial, you want access to certain roadways. Oh, wow. And so how much of a role do the environmental challenges play in, the, in these decisions also? They're, uh, they're important. As, I, as we talked about, zoning and environmental are typically the two types of risks that, that are very hard to quantify. Uh, and, you know, zoning because of government and you don't know, you know, things can change overnight and it's completely discretionary. And environmental, just based on the fact that you don't always know what you have in there, unless you've done a lot of investigation, right? <laughs> it's emerging con- yeah. contaminants. If you'd bought a property 10 years ago, you probably wouldn't even have, uh, have uh, tested for these. And, 
you know, I felt badly on the one project where we had to back out. The seller had a clean phase one or phase two. He had a clean phase two because when he bought it, they weren't they weren't testing for these things. So he said, what do you mean? I have a clean property. And we said, well, no, now we're testing for, now they are testing for these. Oh my gosh. And it's uh, totally changing the game here, huh? Right. Jeez. <laughs> oh, Anything you want to add to that, Jennifer? Uh, no, I think uh, Kevin uh, summed it up pretty well. Okay. Uh, well, you, you did mention that you guys get involved with just about every market sector, the industrial, the commercial, residential, you know, everything in between, whether it be mixed and, and whatnot. Um, are these investments approached differently uh, depending on the type, or is there a, a, a standard formula they use for, for the whole lot? Like you said, you, you use the data and whatnot, uh, but particularly with the industrial properties, which may have some of these legacy contamination issues right. that we're talking about. Yeah, I mean, they're, uh, with the industrial, you really have to be careful. It's, it's more of a factor than an existing multifamily building in New York City, uh, right? Those are, uh, we do do our diligence on both, but uh, with industrial, number one, you want to look at uh, alternate uses. So there is, there's more likelihood of future development on those projects. So... You want to make sure that, that whatever exists doesn't prevent you from future development on the project, um, not just current use. So environmental factors and contaminations on industrial sites are more of a factor in 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 our uh, equation, uh, and we work a lot more diligently with you guys and uh, you know to identify those those areas of risk. Uh, the only exception to that, or I guess the caveat to it, is where you do have uh, developments in the boroughs where we were developing multifamily. Obviously, there we have we're in brownfield programs, and there is you know that that without the those project without those programs, those projects were not economically viable. Particularly one of them. Maybe the other one is a pretty good project. It probably would have made sense regardless. But uh, one of our projects probably wouldn't have made sense without uh, the incentives there, huh? Exactly. Oh, wow. So Jennifer, maybe this is more for you, this next question. You know, if there are environmental issues associated with a target property that say BEB or someone else is looking at, you know, how do we go about uh, assessing a cost to clean up versus its development potential? Uh, we try to evaluate how BEB Capital intends to use the property. Uh, if they're going to hold on to it, they're going to redevelop it, they're going to sell it uh, in the near future. And we try to tailor our uh, remediation strategy to that. So the Brownfield projects are actually redeveloping them. Uh, and, that, and with the tax credits, we can actually take advantage of doing a more complete and thorough uh, remediation, usually involving yeah, soil removal. Uh, you're re really removing the mass contamination that's there. Uh, other properties where maybe it's a more of a renovation or just you know, holding on to the property as is, we look at other uh, strategies that aren't as destructive, um, that fit with the uh, existing and intended uh, future use of the property, um, but still you know, perform uh, you know, uh, the strategies that we want uh, what we want to protect is human health and we want to protect the environment. And so, you know, we'll install something like a subslab depressurization system mm -hmm. to make sure that the occupants of the building are going to be safe and that we're taking that contamination that's beneath the building and, and getting, getting rid of it, evacuating it from that space so it can't be a uh, harm in the future. So we really try to, you know, 
uh, pair our strategy with BEB strategy. But how do you go about costing that out? I mean, and how long does it go on for? And you know, is there a minimum time frame we have to assess, or how do we do it? Yeah. Uh, so sometimes there is a minimum time frame, depending again on BEB strategy, how long they intend to hold on to that property, and you know what their return on on their investment is. Um, for the actual costing of it, yeah, you know, some of its costs that we just know from our experience of doing this. For you know, for me, it's been 16 years, um, so I, I kind of understand the cost at this point. Um, but yeah, you know, there's always uh, the oddball factors that come in. So, you know, some of the emerging contaminants. Uh, we have to start speaking with other contractors uh, that have dealt with this stuff, other disposal facilities, to see what they're willing to accept, uh, how much it would cost to actually dispose of materials at those facilities. Uh, so there is, um, there's some, you know, uh, tried and true, uh, methodologies that we can go through where we really know the costing already. And then sometimes we have to think outside of the box to find out what's the best strategy by, you know, connecting with our network of, uh, contractors, regulators, uh, to really come up with the best strategy overall. All right. And uh, sort of a follow-up here, uh, you know, you've done a previous podcast on Brownfields. How do you know when a site is suited to go into the Brownfields program? Uh, we fi- figured that out pretty early on as part of the due diligence period where mm-hmm. we do a phase one and a phase two environmental site assessment. With that environmental site assessment, the phase two, uh, we can usually start to identify contamination at that site and we can see if that uh, contamination exceeds the cleanup objectives for the intended use of that site. If it does, then it's a good candidate for the Brownfield Cleanup Program. There's a few other factors to take into account. Uh, Going through the Brownfield Cleanup Program does add to the timeline for the remediation and construction. Uh, Sometimes uh, that is not justifiable uh, based on an accelerated time frame for the construction. So it's easier to take care of the issue without going into the Brownfield Cleanup Program. Uh, But other times it is more advantageous to go through the program, get that official no further action letter or certificate of completion, get the tax credits. Now, um, does it usually take a little encouraging on their part, or are they always usually just like, yeah, Brownfields, let's do it? <laughs> I, I think once you, you hear the number that you you can potentially get back in the tax credits, it's a pretty good nudge. <laughs> yeah, we t- and we take that extra time frame into consideration when we – this is, at the like Jennifer said, it's at very early on in the process – uh, so you may it may not even add that much time to your pro- project, depending on what else you're, you're doing. It could add, but it may not. So yeah, we can sometimes do the investigation while they're still in the phase of some other type of planning, and then we tie the remediation to the construction schedule to minimize uh, disruptions to that schedule. And what happens? Like you know, we get into the brownfields program, we're starting to remediate the site, and all of a sudden we find something we didn't anticipate, like an unknown tank or um, you know some more contamination in a a part of the site that wasn't really um, investigated enough or what happens then? Does that affect things? Yeah, it it can affect things. Uh, And when we do our initial investigation, we're putting in a series of two inch diameter holes across the site to try to investigate it. We can definitely miss something. Oh yeah, of course. Yeah. Unless we want to spend, you know, $30 million on the the investigation phase. Um, So yeah, coming across underground storage tanks is, you know, pretty common. Pretty common. Uh, We actually have a contingency for that built into our remedial action work plans on how we're going to deal with those. So when they occur, we're already ready for it. 
All right. Hopefully we don't find any that were uh, <laughs> too glaring that we missed. <laughs> so, so Kevin, what, uh, I mean, maybe you can, maybe you can't. What's, what's coming up? What's on the horizon for BB? You guys have any interesting projects that you're currently working on? I'm not going to ask you to tip your hand on, you know, what you're looking at and get your competition looking, but um, what's in the hopper already? So, uh, yeah, we have a large uh, uh, project that uh, I can't talk about because we don't have it on the contract yet. We're uh, negotiating the contract on it, and uh, as soon as it's finalized, Jennifer will get a call from me. Let's go. Glad to hear that. Uh, so, yeah, it's uh, we have a large development project on Long Island that we're pretty excited about, and uh, that's that's uh, the big thing in the hopper. We have our regular acquisitions that we're constantly, you know, we try to acquire one to two properties per month. Oh wow! So, um, yeah, we we have uh, we have a few that. You have either term sheets signed on or uh, contracts uh, have been already executed. Um, so, you know, those are typical industrial assets. We do our typical diligence. At this point, it's kind of uh, routine. Uh, we already, even before we contact Jennifer, we already have a contingency built in because I typically know a lot of these just walking through the property you can tell, you know, I'm probably going to need an SSDS system in this property. I already know what the cost is. We're doing it on four of our projects right now. So, um, you know, ball, we can easily ballpark it. We put it in our in our model. And then, of course, the purpose of diligence is to make sure all your assumptions were correct. Or, you know, if they weren't, then you, you revise your model uh, to fit that. Uh, so, um, yeah, we have a bunch of what I call regular acquisitions to buildings, to existing buildings. Um, but then we have one relatively large uh, development site that uh, hopefully we'll be working on together pretty soon. Oh, wow. And, and you guys are still just, you know, the primary focus over the next couple of years is still like the Northeast, primarily um, Long Island, New York City, or are you guys looking to expand? Uh, we do intend to, uh, we we have looked outside of Long Island. We have assets. We acquired a property in uh, Connecticut about oh, two months ago. Great. Uh, so we are active outside of New York. Um, uh, yeah, this is still about ninety percent of our assets are New York assets. Yeah. But we definitely have a presence outside of New York, and we're looking to expand. Again, it's the same metrics. Looking at market data. Looking at where it makes sense to expand to and where it doesn't. Uh, so we're, uh, we, we're constantly doing that research and looking at opportunities. Yeah, the acquiring the, the two properties a month is amazing. That's, uh, <laughs> that's, the, that's what we try for. Oof. Wow. Uh, Jennifer, anything you want to add before we wrap up today? Yeah, uh, you know, with the two properties uh, a month, we really try to help make those deals happen. We try not to restrict anything, right. although unfortunately we do have a couple that, you know, again, we can't quantify. So, yeah, our goal is always to help, you know, help BEB finish their, their strategy with a property. And, yeah, and you guys have been terrific. You really are, you know, in terms of getting service, getting results quickly. We've had to expedite uh results and you guys have been terrific and you've been really good partners well we're glad to help you know it's if it's environmentally related we want to be there with you you know for sure um kevin anything any closing thoughts or just a topic we didn't cover before we wrap up today um the only other thing that that i just do want to stress and maybe bring up uh, sure relating to environmental is obviously environmental insurance i I didn't want to leave the podcast thinking that we don't think about that or that's not part of the equation 
I didn't feel like it was appropriate or really came up during this conversation. Yep. Uh, but, you know, we do always look at that. We obtain environmental insurance. Uh, obviously, the the diligence that's done and all the research that we do, it's related to matters that would not be covered by insurance. Uh, so just wanted to clarify that. No, that's that's a very good point to bring up. and People often overlook that and the necessity and the importance of it. So right. I'm glad you brought that up. Thank you. Yeah, you know, our, our work can actually help you know, develop a baseline for you. So anything in the future that occurs, you know, the insurance company doesn't have a reason to deny that no, claim. Correct. All good stuff. Well, right. I, I do want to wrap it up today. And again, th- thank you to our listeners for joining us. And I want to thank Kevin Gaitachi, right? Did I say that right this you time? You said it correctly. All right. With BEB Capital, who is their chief operating officer and president of the lending division. I also want to thank Jennifer Lewis, uh, vice president with our environmental unit here at PW Grocer. And uh, again, I'm Paul Boyce, the president and CEO of PW Grocer, the host of the Environmental Echo. And again, to our listeners and followers, if you guys do want to get in touch with us, again, the best way is through our website, which is www.pwgrocer.com backslash podcast. If you guys have questions, comments, uh, thoughts on today's episode, we'd love to hear them. Or if you have ideas for future episodes or guests, bring it on. We're ready for it. And again, thank you. This is the Environmental Echo signing off.